then have freedom than to preach. So, if you would open your copy of the Scriptures to Philippians chapter 4. Glad that I have this big pulpit to hide behind this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Hear the Word of God. I entreat Iodia and Synecdoche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also... uh, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be present. I ask that uh, your spirit would be um, moving in our hearts as your word has been read and now proclaimed. And I ask, Father, that You help us uh, to love well, to love truly, because our Lord Jesus has loved us well, has loved us truly, and laid down His life for us, taking it up again for our justification, for our reconciliation, for our life forever with You. We pray in His name. Amen. Alright, this morning we are moving into Philippians 4. This is the final chapter of Paul's short letter to the Philippians. This chapter is one of the most beloved chapters in the entire Bible. As we look ahead to chapter 4, you see in verse 4 that Paul exhorts us to rejoice. And not simply to rejoice once, but to Rejoice. And then he says, again I say, rejoice. Verse 6, Paul gives us the key to overcoming worry. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. In verse 7, he reminds us that God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, he tells us how to... Verses 8 and 9... or I'm sorry, verse 8, he tells us how to think lovely thoughts. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In verses 11 through 13, Paul lets us in on the secret of contentment. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And then in verse 19, He assures us that God will abundantly 
give you everything you need. So in verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There are some very encouraging promises that are made to us in this very sweet and rich chapter. And we're going to look at these promises in great detail over the next few weeks with a view towards embracing these promises personally. But I must be honest with you. There is a precondition for for possessing many of these promises. And if you do not possess this precondition, then you cannot have all of these promises. Promises of peace the promises of joy, the promises of contentment cannot be yours if you do not have this precondition of love. Love is the precondition. Let me be more specific. If you are unwilling to be reconciled to your brothers or sisters in the Lord, then you cannot experience these promises of emotional bliss. If you are not unwilling, or if you are not willing to love unconditionally your adversary, or as we read in Luke chapter six, even your enemy who has taken from you, then you cannot have, you cannot possess this joy this peace, this contentment that is so wonderfully promised to God's people. It is my contention that Paul intentionally placed verses 2 and 3 before all these wonderful promises that we just read about in chapter 4. I see verses 2 and 3 acting as the faucet. If you are living in loving in reconciled relationships, then the faucet is turned on. It's turned on for God's blessings to flow into your life. For God's blessings, for God's blessings to pour unhindered into your life. But if you are not, then the faucet is turned off. Iodia and Synecdoche were leading members of the church in Philippi. But the faucet of God's blessing apparently was turned off in their lives. They had some kind of disagreement that was causing them to live in a broken relationship. And apparently their disagreement was so sharp that neither was willing to love the other enough to move towards reconciliation. And I bet if we were to ask them, Iodia, do you love Synecdoche? Or Synecdoche, do you love um, Iodia? They would say, yes, I love her. But I don't love her as much as I should. Insufficient love for another is not love. So who were Iodia? And Synecdoche. 
I've already said that they were leading members of the church in Philippi. They were women. And it was their prominence in the congregation that caused Paul to take this very unusual step of calling them out by name. <laughs> How would you like for me to do that from the pulpit on a Sunday morning? Jim Eggert, you need to do this better. Or, or I wouldn't use my wife, but I'm scared. <laughs> of course I wouldn't do that. But here Paul is doing that, calling them out by name. Their disagreement has reached his ears. He's on a different continent. And their disagreement has come to him. Of course, we know how it came to him. Um, Epaphroditus has traveled over to meet his needs. Epaphroditus is giving this report on the church in Philippi and undoubtedly he has told the Apostle Paul about uh, Iodia and Synecdoche and their uh, disagreement. It's very likely that uh, some of the people in the congregation in Philippi were aligning themselves behind Iodia. And some of the others in the congregation were aligning themselves behind Synecdoche. And this conflict between these two ladies was threatening the whole church. Conflict in the church typically gives way to party spirit, to criticism, to negative attitudes, to bitterness, to desires for revenge, to hostility, to unforgiveness, and at the very same time, pride. And we could say that this one conflict in the church in Philippi was gathering steam and it was threatening to hit the church like a superstorm. And yes, I use that word superstorm to liken this conflict um, in the church to Hurricane Sandy hitting the church. I cannot emphasize enough how dangerous conflict in the church can become. Conflicts hinder love. And where love is absent, something else is always going to grow up in its place. I had some uh, chinch bugs recently attack part of my lawn and they ate away the St. Augustine and immediately as the St. Augustine grass died, weeds and crabgrass started growing in its place. Where love is absent, very unpleasant things will always grow up in its place. Now, I want to take a rabbit trail for a couple of moments. Please notice again that Iodia and Synecdoche were women. Now, I am not going to say anything derogatory about them being uh, women and being in conflict. Rather, I want you to notice their prominence. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says these women labored side by side with him in the work of the gospel. 
in the ancient world, women were typically not given such places of prominence. Christianity does not put women in a secondary standing. Christianity lifts up the place of women. Women are not second-class citizens in this world, nor are they second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, nor are they second-class citizens in the church. Proverbs 31 says that strength and dignity are a godly woman's clothing. The idea that women are somehow less than men is foreign to the Bible's teaching. Now, the Bible has clearly appointed males to be officers in the church. God has clearly appointed husbands to be head in the home. God has instructed wives to joyfully submit to their husbands. We believe the Scriptures. We heartily embrace this teaching from the Scriptures. We make no apologies about it. God's way is always the wisest. Besides, if you have two heads in the home, what do you have? Well, anything with two heads is a monster. But it does not follow that men are somehow superior. We need, and so um, I want to back away from this rabbit trail. Back to the subject at hand. I just wanted you to notice the prominence that these women had. And we're going to see a little later that it was expected that these ladies submit to the leadership of the church. Look again at verse 3 as we jump off the rabbit trail back into our text. Paul asked someone to help these women. Uh, as it reads in my translation, the, New, uh, the English Standard Version, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side, um, side by side with me. Some of your translations may have, um, the, instead of true companion, it may say loyal yoke fellow. But I'm pretty sure that all of your translations will have a little footnote. And you can look down at the bottom of your page. And on that footnote, it says something like this. Or, um, uh, Sigurgis. I'm sorry, I put an R in there. Uh, Sigurgis. Um, and I believe that really is the way it should be uh, translated. In other words, I think he is saying, he, it should read, Yes, I, I ask you also, Sigurgis, Help these women. In other words, I think it's a proper name. And um, almost all the commentators that I read agreed with me. I don't know why they have continued to use uh, loyal yoke fellow or or um, or true companion, but uh, I believe that he is addressing a a uh, a person named Sigigus. Um And what is uh, just to do? Well, he's to help these ladies. How is he to help them? Well, I think we can learn a little bit about the steps of reconciliation by looking here at this text a little more closely. So look again at verse 2. We see in verse 2 that Paul's goal for these ladies 
is that they agree in the Lord. There are several nuggets of wisdom relating to reconciliation that are before us here in the text. First of all, notice here, Paul does not take sides. It is certain that Epaphroditus gave him an overview of this conflict between these ladies. We could probably pretty well assume that Epaphroditus gave his opinion on the matter. Well, this conflict happened because Iodia did this, or Synecdoche said this. But Paul doesn't take sides, nor does he assert any heavy-handed apostolic authority and write to these ladies and tell them how to work it out. Um, nor does he make an accusation that one of these ladies is more at fault than the other. Conflicts are typically uh, very tangled and confusing matters. There's rarely an easy solution. <laughs> no amount of talking it through will be able to make sense of the matter generally. How do I know that? Well, I've got three daughters that fight over clothes, and there's never an easy solution. <laughs> Finally, at one point, I put a padlock on the door. And uh, for a few months, I limited to just a few outfits, um, the clothes that they could wear. And it gave a little bit of temporary peace, but it certainly wasn't a solution. So then what is the solution? Well, the secret to the solution is found in the three words in verse 2 after the word agree. What are the three words after the word agree? It's okay to answer out loud. What are the three words? In the Lord. That's right. Um, to refuse to agree or to refuse to reconcile is not only a lack of love towards your adversary, it is also to reject the Lord. They are to agree in the Lord. This is a serious matter. This is not simply about a conflict that has some juicy details. This is not about who is right or who is wrong. This is about Iodia and Synecdoche and their spiritual health. Now Paul encourages them. I love the way he encourages them in verse 3. Uh, he reminds them of their previous labor together with him. They were co-workers with the Apostle Paul himself for that glorious, task of spreading the gospel. And not only that, their names are written in the book of life. See that at the end of verse 3? Iodia, Synecdoche, Clement, and the rest of his fellow workers, all their names are written in the book of life. But he's telling them that they need to remember that. Telling, he's telling these ladies they need to act in keeping with the fact that their name is written in the book of life. But He is also subtly reminding them that they are rejecting the Lord. 
if they refuse to agree. So here's the solution in a nutshell. The solution cuts through the questions of who's right and who's wrong. It cuts through the question of who started this conflict. Iodia and Synecdoche are not to wait to find out who is right or who is wrong. Rather, they are to race each other to the bottom. That's the reason we read from Luke chapter 6. What are you doing, Jesus says, trying to take this speck out of your brother's eye when you have this great big log or this plank in your own eye? You can't see to, to help your brother because of your own sin. And so the Lord Jesus says, you shouldn't be worried about who's right or who's wrong, who's going to win or not win, who started it or who didn't start it. Your only concern is you better race down to the bottom and you better go to your brother or sister and confess your lack of love to them and take that log out of your eye so that then you might be able to help your brother or sister. Too many conflicts persist because of pride, because the you got the plank in your eye, but that plank acts as a magnifying glass to see your brother or sister's sin. And you think, I've got to win because I see their sin. They don't see it. Or I can't bear to lose publicly. Or it's amazing. It is just amazing how much misery we are willing to endure to win a conflict sometimes. Jesus says, race to the bottom. Race to be the one to say, please forgive me. Now, I don't want to simplify things so much that, I am make, that I'm in the position of saying that there are no legitimate conflicts. Because there are certainly legitimate conflicts. Um, there was a conflict in uh, Acts chapter 15. And the church got together and they solved it. In these cases, it is helpful to have a mediator or mediators. Paul enlisted um, uh, Sigurdus. I keep putting that R in there. Sigurdus. And I am assuming that Sigurdus was the pastor of the church or at least a ruling elder. I further assume that Sigurdus' goal was reconciliation and that his chief goal was to see repentance and love spring forth from Iodia and Synecdoche. And after that, he may have been expected then to make a ruling on the subject of their conflict. Maybe each of them had a legitimate point. Maybe the conflict had been going on so long that they couldn't remember how it started. But Paul enlists this man, Sigegis, to come in and mediate and to help these ladies to agree in the Lord. And again, this is conjecture on my part. Uh, I think I think there's some weight behind it. But I think he was probably the pastor or the elder. Um, and after he met with them, it doesn't say whether he met with them once, twice, seven times, 
70 times. But after he met with them, um, he gave a ruling and expected them in love to drop the matter altogether. There are blessings to reconciliation. There are blessings for the church in reconciliation. I pointed out the dangers of the conflict in the church. I said the conflict in the church can be like Superstorm Sandy to Long Island, uh, New York. Just absolutely devastating. But there's also blessings that are, that are equally wonderful. Blessings in reconciliation. Uh, the chief blessing is that the church gets to experience the dynamics of the gospel when, um, when two people reconcile. You know, in God's wisdom that I don't completely understand, He allows conflicts in the church. Because without conflict, there would be no reconciliation. Without conflict, the church would not be able to see two sinners who were adversaries or even enemies die to themselves, embrace the Lord, and love each other and serve each other. That is a powerful witness. There's also blessings for the individual. You know, it used to be said that this idea of loving your enemies was impractical, was idealistic, was just absurd. You're in the business context, you're in the corporate world, and you try and love your enemies, you're just going to get yourself run over. But you know what? Medical science has now concluded that people's health can actually be affected by harboring anger or hatred. People can be eaten up by bitterness and suffer real physical harm as a result. So on a worldly level, there are blessings for reconciliation. But also on a spiritual level. You know, we know, and I made this assertion at the beginning of the sermon, God's grace grows in the soil of love. Real loving, I'm, real loving is real living. If there's someone you do not love, go to your knees. And if you get up from your knees and still don't love them, go to your knees again. If you still don't love them, take Luke 6 with you to your knees. Pray through it. And then get up from your knees and ask God to help you love that person. Then go to that person and ask for their forgiveness and see if you can build a relationship with them. You say, but what if that doesn't work? Because some people just won't be reconciled with. Well, we can look to the example of Jesus. Um, Jesus never had to go to another person and ask for forgiveness since He never sinned. But Jesus went to that awful cross And He went to that awful cross so that forgiveness and reconciliation might be possible. He was able to reconcile a holy God to rebellious sinners. And in so doing, He secured their forgiveness of sins. 
And when you go to your knees and ask God to help you love that person, and then you get up from your knees and you go and ask for their forgiveness. Um, then you're entering into Jesus' work. So let Jesus be concerned for the results. Regardless of the results, if you are loving that person, regardless of their response, you have turned on the faucet to receive that joy, to receive that peace, to receive that contentment that we're going to learn about in these next few weeks. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You loved us and reconciled us to God when we were determined to be unreconciled, when we were determined to run our own way, when we were determined to hate You with all our strength. You turned us to Yourself. You brought us to God through the Holy Spirit. You applied that forgiveness and reconciliation that You perfectly purchased on the cross to us. And I love that passage in Hebrews where You say that You are not ashamed to call us Your brother. Father, I thank You that Jesus has reconciled us to You. Help us to take this command to love, to take this injunction that we will be known by our love for one another seriously. And in so doing, bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us. We pray in His name. Amen. Our hymn of response, hymn number 528.